Welcome to Tricky Fish, a conversation between a millennial daughter and her Gen X dad. Here's your hosts, Rhiannon and Ian. And we're back. I'm a pain in the ass. And I am dealing with the COVID booster. (laughs) (laughs) I will just say this up ahead for our listeners in advance. I do have a slight cough that came from this stupid thing. I will try not to cough into the the mic or whatever, but if you do hear it, I'm sorry. You know, it's funny how like COVID has turned it so that if you sniffle or sneeze or cough, everyone just immediately assumes that you have the plague. Oh my God. I was in the, uh, this is earlier this week. I was in the store. I had the mask on and everything. And for some reason, like I had to cough and I had a moment of panic and I'm trying not to cough. So I'm like, oh my God, if I cough, they're going to think I've got COVID. <laughs> That's what COVID has done. We're afraid to, to cough. But yeah. you know what's incredible, though, is there are still people who walk around without masks that don't cover when they cough or sneeze. And I'm like, so there's people like me who over worry that people are going to think I have COVID because I'm coughing in my mask. And then there are the other end of that where people don't care and also aren't wearing a mask. And I'm like, I don't understand. Yeah, and don't bother to cover their mouth when they do yeah just sneeze in general into the world and i'm like come on keep your germs to your damn self yeah no i get it i'm the same way it's the same way with vader with the service dog because there's so many fake service dogs out there that just act a fool because they don't have proper training just for basic obedience much less anything else so if he's not super perfect and that's just me being like putting way more on it than mm-hmm. I should. But yeah, I get that too. If he just doesn't seem to be doing something right. And it's just something as simple as he just kind of looks at something. It's like, okay, he can look. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But he does it. And then and I'm like, oh my God, do they think I, maybe they're going to think he's not a real service dog? And I just have to get over it and move on. Yeah. Well, uh, the point of this episode was to kind of catch up because we took a holiday hiatus and. We did not get back to recording as soon as I would have liked to, but it's because my life has been so crazy, which leads to the update that I have a different job now. I'm also DJing in Seattle. I don't know if I was doing that when we... I don't, I don't think so. Episode. So that's pretty new. <laughs> How is that going? Um, I mean... There's always the underlying, like, am I good at it? Am I doing well at it? And like self doubt to it, but honestly, at this point, there's really only the only way to to know is to do it. So. That's true. I feel that way with writing, though. I'll go for a long stretch. The words are just coming out, boom, 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 and then I'll hit stretches where something as simple and stupid as describing a sunset, something I've seen every day of my life. Have you actually seen a sunset every day? Do you actually pay attention to sunsets every day? Uh, no, but if the sunset is particularly beautiful, that will catch my eye. But that's one of those things that's just background. How often do you go outside? Well, the sun tries to kill me, so <laughs> I try to avoid that at all costs. No, I go out and I, um, I go out and I pay attention to my surroundings, partly because that's what you should be doing anyway. Yeah. Partly because that's part of the PTSD is, uh, hypervigilance. And also because as a writer, I'm looking at things and in my head, I'm trying to describe them as. So you're constantly working. 
Basically, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So in that case, it's understandable if your brain is tired, if you're constantly putting it to use and trying to think of how to be creative. Like eventually you're going to have a moment where your brain's like, I just need to chill the fuck out for a second. You know, I never thought about that until just now. So maybe I need to cool it. Yeah. Actually, I can't remember who it was now, but somebody, it was probably on TikTok, honestly, but somebody made the point of like, in order to have inspiration, there's going to be periods where you're going to feel uninspired. Because if you always feel that way, that's going to be your new normal. In which case, are you really inspired or are you just doing a thing that you're good at doing? Well, I could definitely confirm that there are periods where I am not inspired at all. I will tell you, there's a story that I got to write. I know the general gist of the character Mm -hmm. because it's about a dude who's a private eye. And this is going to be a series of stories. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's hearkening back to the old pulp stories, pulp novels of the 30s, mm-hmm. uh, like H.P. Lovecraft and, and writers like that, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Robert E. Howard. So I know there's that character, but then it's sitting down trying to figure out, you know, well, what is this case? What is that case? And it's just sitting there just looking at it going, I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> okay, but here's a good example of, at that point, accept that you're not inspired and then go do a different task. Like you could literally watch Criminal Minds or NCIS or like any kind of crime show. And that would at least get the gears turning and that might help you find inspiration. But if you sit here at the desk, just like hammering away of like, oh, I have no inspiration, but I'm going to sit here until I write something, then you're like kind of getting in your own way. Versus if you're like, okay, right now, this isn't the task my brain wants to do. Let me do something else. And then who knows, maybe that will then spark the thing. And you can come back to it. I can't even tell you how often that happens to me. Oh, sure. And that's what I, okay. So first of all, I've got an, another story that I'm working on that is kind of a little bit more important, I guess. I got to write three stories mm-hmm. and I got to do it by their respective deadlines. But this one that I'm working on, the one that had the issue with the sunset, that's a Wild West themed horror story, short story. Okay. That one's almost done. But that's the one that's, that's taken precedence. So I still have that thing to, to do. Mm-hmm. But when I uh, was trying to think, is the occult detective private eye thing, that's the next story I got to write. I was like, I don't, man, I'm coming up on the end where I'm going to be finishing this story. I need to start on that. So I actually sat down and I was like looking through movies to see something that would actually help. And I ended up finding... A John Carpenter film, In the mm-hmm. Mouth of Madness, which is a really interesting kind of H.P. Lovecraft-esque movie, but it did get the juices flowing on that. So I ended up with like two story ideas. Hell yeah. That if I told you, I don't want to tell them what they are now because I don't want to Honestly, spoilers. when you said Western, I was going to suggest Rango. Rango. <laughs> the- they have some pretty skies on that movie. I actually liked Rango. I do too. A lot of people trashed it. Yeah, I think it's because it's misunderstood. Because like people thought it was, assumed it was going to be a kids movie because it's animated. It is not a kids movie. That is definitely a Western viewpoint. <laughs> no, I say that because in yeah. like Japan, everything's that's animated. a legitimate art form. Yeah. So adults watch it just as much as mm-hmm. kids watch it. But yeah, okay. So let's just kind of talk about what our break was like what did you I know you mentioned you got a new job how's that going 
So um, I went from working at a ceramics painting studio to now working in a therapy clinic. So I'm, I'm much like, I really liked my ceramics painting studio job. It just didn't pay the bills. And this one will be closer to paying bills. And remember when we first started this podcast and we had the episode of like what our motivations were for, for creating it. And I explained that I think that I'm here to affect a lot of like widespread change on a small level. Right. I think this job will allow me to do that. Because I like the more I've been thinking about it, I'm helping so that therapists can have their own like private practices, and that makes mental health more accessible. And then we like handle all the building and everything, so that therapists can see more people, and then they're healing those people, and those people can go out in the world and interact with their network and heal them. You know, like a whole butterfly effect situation. So I'm really optimistic about it. So if I'm understanding it correctly, if I were a therapist, I could set up my own practice, but then I go to your company to handle the billing. Like everything, not just billing, but like everything. Okay. You literally just show up and are a therapist and we do everything else. Okay. So your company that you work for is handling all the- Like administrative stuff. Crunt work and administrative stuff. Yep. Oh, all right. All right. Because when I was younger, I wanted to be a therapist too, especially for youth. And then as I got older and I realized how much school was required, but then also like if you have your own private practice, there's all that goes into it. And knowing how much school was required, not having an idea of how to pay for it, and then knowing how much money is going to be required to do the thing I want to do after school in addition to that, I was defeated from the get-go and I kind of gave up on that. But with this new job, I'm still able to help other people do that, even if I necessarily like am not the person doing it, which is honestly better because if I was a therapist, I know I'd get way too emotionally involved, like invested. See, I was going to school initially to become a, a therapist and I realized that I probably wouldn't have a therapy career for long if whenever my clients came to me, I told them to suck it up buttercup. <laughs> so well, no, I mean, sometimes that approach is helpful. Sure. That, that's the thing is not every therapist. Therapists are like hairdressers and tattoo artists. Like you got to shop around until you find the one that works for you. And I personally would have preferred to have a therapist who's like, man, that sucks, but you'll get through it versus a therapist that I had before when I was younger where they're like, well, how does that make you feel? Blah, 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 blah. Well, how does that make you feel? Like that wasn't helpful for me at all. Yeah, no, I can, uh, that didn't work for me either. What did work for me was one, getting diagnosed. So I knew what was going on. And then they guided me towards exercises that would help me function better. Is that behavioral therapy? Um, I think it's cognitive behavioral therapy, but don't quote me on that whatsoever. I was was just going to say maybe cognitive behavioral therapy is what it sounds like. But it was basically just giving me the tools to cope. Yeah. And once I had that, I was like, good to go. Well, for the most part, there was still things that, you're just better equipped to handle life yeah. versus going at a blind, which honestly, that's sometimes that's all we need. It's just somebody just kind of be like, okay, this is a good way to do this. This might work for your brain. You know, I saw a um, picture on the internet once upon a time that showed it was a therapist sitting on a couch and then somebody's like a patient or whoever sitting on another couch on the opposite side. And together, like the patient had a thought bubble that was a bunch of like jumbled yarn. Mm-hmm. And then the therapist 
was taking that jumbled yarn and slowly helping them like spool it into their own respective like nice and neat balls. And I so, think I saw something like that. I and, thought that was pretty clever. And honestly, that's what a therapy should be, in my opinion, because people go into therapy thinking that somebody's going to be like, we're well, living your life wrong. Here's how you do it. In reality, they're just helping you organize your thoughts so you can figure shit out for yourself. They're just there to be like to help you work through it with an objective perspective. True. But I also think that there's a certain responsibility on there's a certain personal responsibility because you got to be willing to go in there and not just have people say, oh, this is the reason and give you excuses. Yeah. But you have to go in there genuinely wanting to grow, grow change. and change whatever that looks like. You know, even if it's just being told like, you know, you're never going to get over this. So you're just going to have to learn to deal with it. But here's these tools that will help you. And for me, once I started learning those tools and started putting those into effect, I saw a huge improvement. Yeah. It still took a while. It wasn't like it was overnight. It wasn't like a couple of weeks later, I was like, good to go. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, at that time that when that happened for me, that was just so eye opening and so amazing. Just because I had, again, I knew I had a name for it and I was learning tools to deal with it. Mm -hmm. For the longest time, I, I honestly felt lost. I couldn't figure out, like, what's wrong with me? What's, yeah. you know. And you know what's interesting is lately I've kind of been thinking, I think the thing that some people love me for is the exact same thing as some people hate me for. In that, like, I was looking at my friend group and I've noticed that everyone is pretty, like, self-improvement driven. Like, everyone is very much a, like, I need to address my stuff. I mm -hmm. need to figure out what my triggers are. I, I need to acknowledge where I was toxic in my life, blah, 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 you know. And I've noticed that I don't really get along with people that aren't prioritizing personal growth and self-care and things like that. And at first I thought maybe it was me being all like high and mighty, like I can't be your friend if you don't self-care. But in reality, it's that if you're in a really unhealed place, then someone like me coming up and being like, you deserve happiness. You deserve everything in your life that you want. It's possible if you just believe in yourself for five seconds versus like when you've been miserable your whole life thinking that you're just this perpetual failure, then nothing I say is going to land. Right. So it could be that I don't get along with people that don't prioritize self-care and things like that. But I also feel like my message gets lost on people who haven't had that time and space to start figuring it out and have that realization that you were talking about. Right. Because if you're just living your whole life thinking that it's a personal flaw that you're having all these issues, then me being like, you can do this. You're like, I fuck everything else up. How am I going to do that? Sure. And there was a long period of time where that's where I was thinking, is this who I am? Like, I guess so. I'm screwing everything up. That must be who I am. And I've noticed that humans get a lot of, well, the only common factor is me, so it must be my fault. In some cases, that is true, but yeah. there are other cases where that's not true at all. But I also want to point out that is such a narrow view, like point of view, because the only true viewpoint you have access to is your own. So, of course, it's going to feel like everything is about you or directly your fault because you, you only have access to your experience. Well, yes, which you is know. why you have to figure out how to step back and look at it objectively, mm -hmm. which is a hard thing to do 
you, you have to really work at it. These days, I've managed to get much better with it to where I'm looking at it like, okay, is this a me thing or is this a them thing? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, stepping back and looking at it, it's like, okay, no, wait, you know, I'm doing this, that, and the other. That I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. They're the ones with the toxic behavior. So that's them. Mm -hmm. But by that same token, being able to step back and objectively look at it, if it's me with the toxic behavior, then I could be like, oh, I'm the one that's like engaging in this. Okay, I need to fix this. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that the other person is doing, you have to decide like whether that's somebody you want in your life, one. Yeah. And two, if, they, if you do want them in your life, how much access yeah. to your life you give them. And that's, I'm sure I've said it before, but that's where the saying, just because it's happening to you doesn't mean it's because of you. Right. Like really comes into play. But knowing that, that is why <laughs> I'm so happy to be part of this project because while I want to help and save as many people as possible, I only have so much that I can really do. Right. Whereas if I invest my time and energy into this therapy practice that makes it possible for people who actually know what they're doing and are trained and educated to handle situations like that to actually do that work. So you're basically helping to clear the road. So exactly. They can come through and exactly do what needs to be done. I gotcha. Yep. And so with that, I would like, I really like DJing. I really enjoy doing it so far. It's hard to tell if I'm good at it because the few times I've done it have been like really slow nights and also like weather played a part and COVID is kind of a thing. And the demographic of people that hang out at the club I DJ at all really take COVID seriously. So I haven't had like a full packed dance floor yet, but I will someday. But even so, I enjoy doing it. And the day job that I have allows so much like spare time around it that it's easy to DJ around it. Nice. So our needs are going to be met. I'll still be able to DJ and I'm spending my time in a company that I'm like happy investing my time into. Well, that's good. Yeah. If you want to look at your DJ thing from a more positive standpoint, you could look at it as the smaller crowds you get to work out all the bugs. Yeah, that's how I've been seeing it so far. Is like th there's been a couple times I've paused a song in the middle of, of it, or there's been uh, one time. So, when you say pause, you mean like like just straight up pause the whole track, the whole thing by accident. Was, yeah, like I was. I'm not gonna get into the mechanics of it, but I, I understand <laughs> how I made the mistake and it was stupid. But luckily, no one was there, so it's fine. But there was another time. Uh, you know, This Corruption by Sisters of Mercy? Yeah, yeah. And it's like a nine or ten minute long song. Sure. Right in the middle, there's this really long, drawn out, almost breakdown where it's not like going intense. It's just like instrumental stuff happening right, for right. like a minute or two. And I was so nervous and I wasn't paying attention. So when I started hearing it in that breakdown part, I thought it was the end of the song. And so I rushed to put another track on because I'm like, I'm not going to I'm not about to let the song play and then be nothing. Turns out I faded in the middle of the song. <laughs> the transition was great. I did a great job transitioning to the other song, but I cut off half of the first one. So <laughs> I will admit that in my day when I was going to clubs, they were not those kind of clubs. Um, and I'm not saying that in a, in a derogatory way. My scene growing up when I was going to clubs was more like heavy metal and yeah. punk, that kind of thing. So I don't have the same viewpoint or no, 
the same frame of reference. So I got to ask this. So when you're cutting off the middle of that song and you're fading in into this new song, does it sound weird? Does anybody notice that? Well, I mean, if you do your job well, then no. (laughs) So, okay. The, uh, I use a program called Tractor and, uh, along with the controller board, which is made to mimic a like disc jockey setup. Mm -hmm. So I have the whole like two disc things I can mess with if I want to. Wicker, wicker, wicker. Yeah, pretty much. But, uh, with that, you assign a song to one track and then a song to the other half. And then there's faders and different like sliding things or several different ways you can transition actually. But. Generally, I try to light up, line up the beats per minute so that they match up well enough to make it like a smooth transition if I can. Right. And sometimes, like there have been several times where I'm like, oh God, this song will be so dope after, but I forget that the intro is like really slow for a minute or, um, and the other song just ended really fast. And so sometimes the transitions aren't super smooth because I'm still getting a hang of it. Sure. But the goal is, in my opinion, I prefer... Like when I'm dancing where like you can tell that it's a different song, but it's a transition to where that you can still keep dancing. So like mm-hmm. you can sway through one song to the next to the next without having to stop and then like adjust for a beat change. Right. But every DJ is different. I've noticed some that don't really care about transitions. They just kind of start and end songs and call it good. Seems like that could be effective sometimes. Yeah. And then I've heard of like DJs because especially they want to like rack up the bar sales. That's usually how most clubs make their money. I've heard of DJs that specifically play like less than popular songs every few songs to like push people to the bar. That's pretty smart. And I'm like, it is, but also like kind of kills it if you're just there to dance. Like, oh crap. (laughs) I can't stand this Justin Bieber song. I need a drink to get through this. Yeah. So my my approach has been um, I take it no on a more like mathematical stance where I just kind of make a wave of BPMs. So I like to start around like ninety beats per minute, and then maybe like one thirty is the fastest that I would hold it at. Mm-hmm. But most dance music operates at about one hundred and twenty BPMs, so it's really easy to just kind of go up and down in between them. And I play stuff between like nine inch nails or res. So, all over the place. Okay, at some point, I am going to come and I'm going to watch you DJ. Sure. Okay. I you want don't you... have to dance. You can just vibe. Like, no, no, listen. And stuff. I want you to figure out a way to put a Tool song in there somewhere. Okay. That's if you haven't already done it. easily done. <laughs> that is extremely easily done. So, do you go in with a playlist? Well, it's whatever music I own, like I own already. No, so, right, but like. Do you go like, have I planned the entire set? Yes. No. Um, I personally, I feel like maybe if I had more of my personal library, then I might, because right now I'm just operating off of the music that like a friend, like my DJ teacher was willing to like, here's some music from my library that you're familiar with. You can have this. Nice. So I, I have that, but it's not what I like actively listen to. Like I have a whole bunch of nine inch nails. But I'm not like a super Nine Inch Nails fan. No, I get you. You know, but but knowing that, like, even though I'm not super into it, I know that the demographic of where I'm playing, they love Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. And what I've done so far is just play like songs that I 
like starting with playing songs that I like and seeing what people were responding to as far as dancing. And then once I get a feel of like, these are the kinds of things that they're going for, then I just start playing more of that. Nice. So you're, you're kind of going by the crowd. Yeah. I feel like more of a professional vibe curator. All right. I'll go with that. Sure. Because like the way I see it, especially. You should get business cards with that on it. (laughs) Professional vibe curator. I really should. But because like as a DJ, I don't feel like that really describes like what I'm trying to do. But I'm legitimately just trying to like provide a space for people to come and dance and just have a good time. I think there's a lot of people when they hear the word DJ, they think of that kind of prototypical wedding DJ where you're just standing up there putting just random whatever songs on the... Which I could do if people wanted me to. I could. Like, I have the capacity for that. I just, I don't know if I really want to deal with weddings and... I, I don't know. If, I it. don't know if my music taste would be compatible with normal no, people's weddings. No, you would get people who would want you to play the dumbest, most trite pop bullshit. And I just can't do it. Or farm emo crap. Like, <laughs> there's like no. Yeah, you're not the the odds of you getting a wedding that comes up to you and says, "Hey, we want a legit." I don't know though, because I have a lot of alternative friends that if they came to me and were like, "Hey, will you play our wedding reception?" I'm like, "If you're cool with things like Nine Inch Nails, dope. Let's do it." <laughs> I'm going to tell you, we had a DJ for my last marriage. And when we were planning it, I was planning it for the songs that we liked, that we wanted to hear. Yeah. But my ex-wife was planning it for things everyone else would want to hear. Ugh. Yeah. So, and most of her. They're all from like Michigan, right? They're like super white people. And very pedestrian in their tastes. Yes. So, I mean, like what you like. I'm not saying that. Necessarily what a person likes to listen to is necessarily bad. Even if I don't personally enjoy it, hey, if you like it, live your best life. Yeah. But I just don't want to be involved. It's my wedding. If I'm going to be held captive <laughs> at this place for, you know, however many hours, I want to hear the stuff I want to hear. Yeah, like, it's your you know, freaking wedding. Yeah, right? But no, it's like. But see, that's what I'm saying. Like, if somebody approached me and, like, knowing full well the kind of music I listen to and was like, yes, I want that, then I would do it. Sure. I would, I don't, I would not be willing to buy a bunch of random poppy music that I don't actually care about for things like that. But my whole thing is that I want to create an environment for people to just vibe and like they can just come and dance and just not worry about the outside world for a little bit. And so all I'm literally there to do is just set the scene for them to do that. Nice. And like get out of their way. That's how I look at it at least. And I I had a little bit of a complex because, like, for example, Depeche Mode, I don't know a single goth person who doesn't like Depeche Mode, but to me, they're on the same level as, like, New Order, which I love New Order, so I'm not throwing shade, but they're, like, poppy to me, like 80s pop. And then Depeche Mode has that sound, but, like, the lyrics are more, like, emotionally deep, and I'm guessing that's the draw. But at first, I was like, I don't understand the music of the scene. How am I going to do this? What if I'm terrible? But the more I do it, the more I'm like, eh, people are just here to dance. I will say that I did not come to an appreciation for Depeche Mode until I was an adult. So I don't know what the draw is initially. 
Maybe um, it's just the suffering of being in a late stage capitalistic hellscape that we all identify with. Yeah, maybe. I was just getting into being in a band and stuff. So music was becoming open to me much more than just listening. Yeah. Like now I was becoming an active participant. So things that might either just missed me because I was just, I was like a metalhead growing up mm-hmm. or whatever. The, there was just certain things that would come to it. And it's like I had, I was hearing it with new ears. Like, oh, that's an interesting way to, to play those chords or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I don't know about that. Also, when I was a kid, my first introduction to Depeche Mode was actually, there was a, a girl that moved to the town I was living in at the time. She came to our high school. She was a new student. She had Depeche Mode written on her folder. Mm-hmm. It was one of those peachy folders. I'm going to toss that out for my Gen X people. <laughs> What's up? PG represent. Anyway, <laughs> and I didn't know that it was Depeche Mode. So I had a crush on her. And one time I mustered up the courage to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I said to her was, what is Depeche Mode? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she looked at me with disdain and said, it's Depeche Mode. Rolled her eyes and then we never talked again. Oh, man. So. I had a similar stint with my chemical romance <laughs> with a really cute goth girl. And Wait, how do you school. mispronounce my chemical no, romance? No, I didn't mispronounce it. I just like, okay, I was part of the emo scene culture of the 2000s. So I, I was there on the front lines, but this was before I had really like delved into that scene. And my first experience with it was this really hot goth girl that was a year older than me in middle school and she was obsessed with my chemical romance and so i went home and i looked him up and like even now i'm not really a my chemical romance fan like i just i think i missed it like the relating to it i don't know but i liked helena that's like one of their most popular songs Mm -hmm. everybody that listens to my chem just roll their eyes at me because that's the one song i like that's like people saying Lovell Terrace Apart is their favorite Joy Division song, which it is my favorite, but it's also cliche. Sure. But I went and talked to her about it. I'm like, yeah, my favorite song is Helena. And she's like, oh, I like this song, blah, blah, blah. I like started talking about other albums. And then I was just like, I have nothing to contribute. Like, that's all I prepared for this conversation. And I, I made a fool of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get into My Chemical Romance. They actually have a couple songs that I like. I'll tell you the one there's, I don't know if it's called Black Parade or. Yes. Okay. That is a song I have listened to and I do not understand why people think that song is so great. That's what I'm saying. Like, I just feel like I missed the window to relate to it because I remember right around when I first heard about it is when I started hearing more about them from other like peers and things like that. Right. But by that time I was more of a like 30 seconds to Mars. Um, Taking Back Sunday. I was into those things. The used, under oath. You had I such just, a crush on Jared Leto when uh, you were young. I, it's, it persisted <laughs> until like five years ago. Wait, <laughs> Well so, into adulthood, but like not so anymore. Why not? Because uh, he's dabbling a little too close for, to cult leadership for my taste. Yeah, he I didn't know that. that COVID existed because he was on a nature retreat for like the first two or three months of COVID. So he came back to the world 
when COVID had started, like like three months into it. Can you imagine? You leave, you're away, you're isolated. And yeah, you're just you in, no in the idea. desert, just do whatever the hell you want in the middle of, of nature. And then you come back to a plague and the world has <laughs> shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like, to be that far removed from the reality reality that we're in means that he's on a totally different level than I'm at. And I just am, I don't know. I don't know. I just, uh, the more I see, the more I'm like, mm, I'm aligning with that a little bit less. I've never really been into his music. I've always thought he was a good actor, but I'll tell you what ruined him as an actor for me. Was a Joker. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Juggalo Joker just doesn't do it for me. And I'm, I'm not talking about this because I thought Heath Ledger was like the be all end all Jokers. Cause I liked uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I still haven't seen that one. Really? Yeah. But for me, mm, it was, the, um, it. it was, it was the trans role for Dallas Buyers Club. I've been wanting to see that movie. Um, I just, I think I've seen it on cable. So like I've seen bits and pieces of it and mm -hmm. I don't remember ever sitting down to watch the whole thing, but I did actually see the parts where this character was like really introduced in the movie. And I'm just like, I feel like there's a whole plethora of trans people who are trying to be actors that could have done that. Like an actual trans person could have done that. Yes it didn't have to be Jared Leto. Right. Yes and no. Yes, I think that probably could have gotten better with a, a trans actor. But you have to realize that transgender people as a whole are less than a percentage of society. So and that's, I'm not, don't quote me on it. That's something I read a while back, so I could be totally misremembering. This is another reason that I was but, talking about us having a webcam to put this on YouTube so people could see the look on my face when you said that. Well, yeah, but, but even overall, so, they're can, not a huge what about percentage that of the population. Trans actress from uh, Orange Is the New Black. Oh, you're talking about uh, Laverne. Laverne Cox. Yeah, she could have done it. That's at least one trans actor that could have done that. Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm not so saying there, no. There's at least another option. But what I'm saying is, is that, or maybe anyone in that community, like. Jared Leto, as far as I know, doesn't really relate to the LGBTQ community in any substantial, like, supportive way. I feel like anybody in that community could have potentially done it better than just a really hot white guy. No argument. <laughs> <laughs> but what and I'm, I'm, saying I'm just that saying, as somebody who was like actively obsessed with Jared Leto until I was like 25. Sure. But what I'm saying is that transgender people as a whole are not a huge percentage of the population. Okay. And it also depends on if they're casting that role, did they get any trans actors? And if they the did, it's like, it's hard to become an actor and like, you have to get representation and like get an agent. And yes, there's a whole lot of that so too. I feel like there's a lot of barriers that kind of create this problem. But look, if you're a transgender person and you're a horrible actor, I don't think it's enough just to hire you because you're transgender. That's fair. You've again, got to be Laverne able Cox to. Laverne Cox could have done it. And we know she's great. And I will totally so. agree. So <laughs> you're not going to get any. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I just, after, after that, I was like, as. So earlier we were talking about like what kind of person you are and like how you handle situations now that you know your labels and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I personally, a big thing that I've been trying to institute, especially this year, I feel like I had this realization kind of over the holiday season 
was that a lot of my decision making has been reactive where I'm just like, okay, well, this is, I have to respond to this now and figure out a plan for this now versus thinking of like, how, how do I want to react to this situation if I have to defend that action later? Right. Meaning if I have to explain this decision to somebody, someone like to somebody else later, would I be happy with the kind of person that I am? in that situation sure and so i just maybe i'm imposing my own beliefs on this too much but if someone were to come to me and be like hey i want you to be a trans person i personally would be like that's not something that i can really speak to and i wouldn't take that role because that's not a life or an experience that i've had and i feel like somebody who has had that experience in life should be the one that showcases it and brings that to attention. You know what I mean? Right. If I were in that same position, I absolutely wouldn't take the role just because I don't have that life experience. And I'm not sure that even if I went out and did all the research, read all the books, talked to all the people, that I would necessarily be able to synthesize those experiences into something that was believable, representative, and wasn't insulting. Yeah. And because I can't 100% guarantee that I would be doing justice, I would just bow out. I'd rather just exactly. skip the job. And I mean, he's Jared fucking Leto. Yeah, yes, it's not he, like he's going to not get He's other not roles. hurting for opportunities. Sure. He's a musician and an actor, and he owns a bunch of like companies that make stuff, and he, he models. Like He has options. Sure. I just, after that, I was like, I started looking at him more critically. Versus the, he's gorgeous and sings wonderful music. You know, it was more of a like, hmm, this is a person that I'm not very like, I'm not vibing with as in a, like a human to human. And then the more I started thinking about it, the more I was like, I can, I can agree he's hot. And I do really like the music. Like, I will not negate that. But I just feel like he's. I wonder how much of giving him the role was really just because they looked at that and they said, well, he's got this built in. Fan base. They had Matthew McConaughey as his opposing, like, as his other lead. Okay, right. But you got to think about, like, they're not just looking at one. They're looking at the whole picture. No, I know. But, like, there are a lot of big names in that movie. And I can't name any of them because, again, I did not watch it all the way. But I know for a fact Matthew McConaughey is in it. And he's a much bigger actor than Jared Leto. Sure. So, in the very least, like, you already have that. I'm just saying when it comes to Hollywood, a lot of that is they look at it down to like they allow creativity up to a, a point well, as long as capitalism. it's not impacting the financial side of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that gets decided in Hollywood, I really do honestly believe is down to the numbers. I mean, well, I hopefully things will change a little bit because immortals came out and immortals was directed by a female person of color. And the cast is incredibly diverse. Mm -hmm. So, and I feel like that movie did well. I don't know for sure though, but I hope it went well because then we can Wait a minute. Are you talking about Eternals? Yes. Not Immortals. Eternals. So I'm saying you're trying to figure out and then like, okay, yeah. I didn't really like that movie. I mean, it's just another Marvel movie, but it's still. That movie would have been better if they made it into a Disney plus series. With as much, so they could have taken their time on it instead of yes, rushing it. Because yeah. they're, you're having to put all these characters together. Boom, boom, boom. You don't really get a sense. You kind of go, whatever. You know, why do I care that Icarus did? Well, whatever. the whole point but, is that it was supposed to kind of um, 
make more openings for more Marvel movies because they do mention Thanos. Well, because you got to tie into the fact that Thanos already happened in that universe. Sort of. No, it already, it already happened. So spoilers of Eternals, but it's like the beginning of the movie starts in like Babylonian times. Oh, sure. And then carries forward to most of it being after Thanos happened. Right. But what I'm saying is that when you watch this movie, there's a whole lot of things that you're just like, why did they not do this? What was this purpose? Whatever. Yeah. And in some instances, you get like one or two lines that just say, oh, we didn't do it because of this. I don't know. Because of the money. This thing could have been so much better. I feel like the talent was there. Just give it a series. It would have been able to read it out a little bit better. But anyway, I got one more question for you, and then I'll just kind of talk about what I did over my thing. I know we kind of veered way off, but I was really curious about your stuff. Um, How did you get into... I know you tend to go to those concerts, those shows, those types of... Mm-hmm. stuff how did you decide you wanted to be a dj so my first rave ever was march of like 2017 i think mm-hmm. and it was it was lucky it was like saint patrick's day and while i was there i just was kind of taking in the moment and just realizing that even though none of us knew each other i was there with practically a stranger like this person this wonderful human i met in a, the bar bathroom was like i'll buy your ticket because you've never been to a rave before and so <laughs> i drove they brought my bought my ticket we went together nice and i just had this moment of like we're all here together that even though the rest of the world kind of sucks and adulting is terrible we are all just agreeing that we're going into this to have a good time and sure. just like be kind to each other. And plur is, is the message of the rave community, which is peace, love, unity, and respect. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another R, but I have no idea what it is. Maybe recycle. That's what it should be. <laughs> and um, recycle. I, I, while sure. I was there, I was like, I want to do this. I want to bring this to people. I want to make this exact moment possible as much as possible. And then I started looking into DJing and, you know, the technology and the programs and the grinding and all of that. And it just got really overwhelming really fast. And also being such a young mom, I don't really have money to spare for things like that. So uh, I kind of gave up on that dream and just called it good. It was like one of those like, oh, maybe, but no. Um, Fast forward to... Last year, when Gus passed away, I reached out to like three or four different DJs that worked at the club that he took me to on our first date, Mm -hmm. and only one of them messaged me back. And so I... How rude. I mean, it's okay. They got stuff to do. And it was literally one year into a pandemic. Like, I understand people weren't really worried about DJing, but I wanted to do like a virtual memorial service for Gus. And so I reached out to the DJs in his friends list. One of them responded and he agreed to do it. And I didn't really know of the connection beforehand. I was just like, great. You're the first person to message me back. Let's do it. Wait, you didn't know the connection to? Like Gus and the DJ. Oh, okay. And I just thought they were Facebook friends. Not Mm -hmm. a big deal. And so he did the memorial service. I was very happy with it. Everybody was really, really happy with it that attended because it was virtual was streaming over twitch and then like a month or two later he added me on facebook and i was like okay cool i mean like any friend of gus is somebody i'm at least willing to be friends with sure i like try and uh so we were facebook friends for maybe a month and then he posted one day and was like hey i'm looking for help 
So like the days that I'm DJing six hours is really intensive to be doing that the whole time. Wait a minute. He's DJing for six hours straight. Like the whole time. Yeah. From like nine to two, like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm willing to train if somebody's willing to learn and wants to come help me so that I can have like a little bit of a break when I do that. Like, let's do it. So I messaged him. I was like, how do I do this? Like, what do I do? And so I like not long after that, I went over to his house and we started doing DJ lessons and we talked about music theory and things like that. He installed the program I needed on my MacBook and gave me the console, the console for it. Right. And like bought speakers for my house so that I could practice and makes it an option for me to go and DJ a couple months, a couple times a month if I want to. But yeah, turns out uh, Gus met this man before he even started DJing and has been DJing for like 10 years now. Wow. So like he and Gus were like really, really good friends. So I'm really grateful that he was the one that did the ceremony. Right. Or not the ceremony, but the um, memorial stream and has made it possible for me now. Sweet. Yeah. I'm glad you're able to fulfill that dream. Yeah. It's really weird. And again, this is one of those things that Gus made possible in his own weird way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure he'd be happy that you were doing it. Yeah. I think so too. So my, my break sucked. <laughs> You've been writing a lot. I have. So, okay. We took the hiatus because of the time you were working, the retail stuff. and Both jobs. I was doing both for yeah. like a couple of weeks. Yes. So like there just was no way to do that, which was fine because kind of helped me to, I had just started shortly before our hiatus in a different department where I work. Mm -hmm. So similar to what I was doing before, but also there's a lot of things that's different because of, it's just a whole different. Also real quick, we went to a tool concert. We did go to a tool concert. During our hiatus. I I literally just remembered that we did that. Holy shit. Yeah. Anyway, continue. (laughs) So I had also switched up my schedule. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So new team, new schedule. Yeah. So I work. Four days a week, 10-hour shifts. I did it so that it would give me, it gives me a little less time to write during the week mm-hmm. than I would prefer because I have to go to bed early to be able to get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. But I have Fridays off, which leaves me a full solid day to just do nothing but editing. Yeah. So that got switched around. Of course, I had to get used to the new schedule. And then we hit the holidays. Which and always garbage. Yeah. I ended up getting sick. So I ended up getting a really bad pain flare up that lasted for about three weeks, almost four weeks in that. I also got the shingles. Now the shingles comes with its own pain. So now you have the pain flare up with the shingles pain on top of it Mm. and shingles like itches. So if you guys don't know what shingles is, it's basically adult like chicken pox. Yeah. I think what happened was that my system had just gotten overloaded by that flare up flare up. And then my body's like, I can't handle this. Pfft, here you go. You can have this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Here's some more stress for that stress. Yeah. Right. And then of course it itches. Now I got lucky in that it follows along nerve pathways. So you can have it in different places, including your face. I got lucky in that it showed up on my leg where I could put clothing over it. But that was just heinously difficult. 
because the cloth is rubbing against it. Mm. So it's kind of itching it, but not itching it. And it's just making it worse. I was so, so and you miserable. Know, you know what's interesting is I was having tooth pain like a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And it was the most surreal experience because I woke up because my jaw hurt so much that it was like half my face was throbbing. Right. And brushing or flossing sometimes helped, sometimes made it worse. Right. Then I would take ibuprofen or Excedrin or whatever for like pain management and then right. it would like go away. And then my mind would be like, oh, hey, it's been a while since we realized we were in crippling pain. And then it would like <laughs> smack me in the face again. And then yes. I, I got to yeah. a point where I was like meditating through the pain and I was like, nope, I don't feel pain anymore. And then it would go away. And then I like I would gaslight myself through that experience where I was like, am I just manifesting pain to make me slow down? Because at that point I was working like transitioning to the new job and like sure. my last like shift or two out of the old one. And my new job is really mind intensive when my last job wasn't. So I'm like, am I creating this pain for my brain to just be like, okay, we need to take a second, take care of this and stop doing the thing that's stressing you out? Or is it actual real tooth pain? Because I do take terrible, like terrible care of my teeth. So it would make sense if there was a cavity or something, but it lasted for three days and then I've been fine. Well, that's good. So the human brain and the mortal vessel, I just don't understand. I feel you. But, but guess what? So the way my job and my new schedule would have ended up, I would have ended up with four day. I ended up with four day weekends. Like every weekend? Well, not every weekend. Four day weekends because I'd have Friday off. Mm-hmm. And then the way it works at my job is if the holiday falls on the day you, your flex day, they call it a flex day. So in the case of New Year's and Christmas, it fell on a Friday. So I could take off either Thursday or Wednesday, depending on how it falls in the pay period. So I would just, I just took Tuesday, uh, excuse me, I just took Thursday off for both of those. So prior to getting the pain flare up, I was like super looking forward to like two four day weekends. Mm -hmm. Cause it was like, oh, I'm gonna get some writing done. This is gonna be amazing. Like I had a lot of stuff to do especially on one of them that to get it ready for submission. So I was like, all right. And then the pain flare up happened and there was no way. Yeah. I was just, I was basically laid in bed, just miserable, just dying. And poor Vader, like he never left my side very much, but he was there through the whole thing. Then eventually I came out of that. I did write, I got uh, one story finished and published on, my website at ianmcteer.com. Yeah. I did an audio book for it. So my very first audio book and some people that have heard it have been really impressed with the yeah. uh, sound, the sound quality, the professional. They should be. We invested quite a bit of money in this situation. <laughs> we, we did <laughs> because it was about sounding professional from the get go, not sounding horrible. But, I almost wonder if this sets false expectations because people are expecting professionals and I am an imposter. I am not a professional. No, but we play the part. (laughs) (laughs) We're not professionals. We're faking it till we make it, I guess. We we just play ones on on TV. We just play one on the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) 
There's this audio on TikTok where it's like, time to cosplay as a grown up who has their shit together. And then I always see like business outfits. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I get it. That's how I feel getting ready for work now because it's, it's business casual, which when I Google it, it looks like a JCPenney's catalog. So like a lot of blazers, a lot of cardigans. I'm currently working from home. Shoes. So I just get to get up. Throw on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. And just call it good. And call it good. Oh, I'm like dream. totally comfortable. The dream. Right? I started doing that stuff. Got that done. I started interacting on Twitter a little bit more. Twitter was... Ian McTeer is not the first Twitter account that I ever had. I had one previous that I just had such a bad experience with the toxicity and everything that I just like ditched it. I'm like, mm. Ugh, whatever. I don't even care. Twitter be like that. It is. But I started getting hooked in with... It's like hashtag writing community. Mm -hmm. So supportive. It's such a positive environment. Like you don't see people tearing people down. You just, they're all like, all right, you know. My Twitter, like I don't think I've, I'm bad with social media in general where I don't follow people unless I genuinely like care about what they're posting. Yeah. And lately my feed, a lot of it has been like based off of your likes and it's a bunch of art and I love it. Yeah, I get Love a lot it. of uh, I get a lot of writing related stuff based on that. I'm just I'm I'm here for it. Like at first I was like, why does the algorithm have to be all up in my face like this? But now I'm like, you know what? You're showing me all these visual artists that are making incredible things. I'm like, I genuinely do enjoy that. Thank you. Well, the algorithm showed me something that I'd never seen before, never heard of it. I had to Google it to find out what the heck it was. So somebody had written a tweet. And of course, tweets have that minimum yeah. character. But they gave the hashtag VSS365. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the heck? So I look it up. It stands for Visual Short Story 365. So basically, it's this thing where you're given a word each day. And then you have to use that word. To write a short story? Yeah. In the, the tweet. Mm, so you're limited to what a tweet can carry. Yes. And let me tell you, that is, so there's a, a few things. One, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to check that out. That sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it's just a little fun thing to do. And then the other thing too is that like when you take a look at having that short a space, you somehow have to come up with something with that word mm -hmm. that makes sense. You know, I love that, that challenge because that reminds me of my final art project when I was in art school. Well, art classes in community college. But anyway, there was a course on charcoal. And for the final project, you could not have like a single eraser mark. And he said if he found a single eraser mark anywhere in this charcoal piece, which you can kind of tell. Sure. Then it was an immediate fail. And there was no like redoing it or remaking it, anything. So you oh had to God. like come I'm feeling the pressure now. And, and I'm not even in that class. It, it was it was intense because I love working with charcoal, but it's also one of those things where like it's super easy to erase. So up until that point, I had just like taken the eraser for granted kind of thing. I like charcoals and, until they made my fingers dirty. I didn't like the that's understandable. stuff on it. So it was that's like, but you know what? I saw somebody at like an art fair or something. They were doing charcoals that they actually had something that they weren't actually touching the Mm -hmm. the charcoal directly. It's like some kind of implement that they were using. Yeah. And I was like, I saw somebody I had that using a palette knife for charcoal once. Really? Which I thought was like, I'm like, how, how? 
Are you using a palanite for charcoal? There is some incredibly talented people out there. Yeah. Yeah. So Also, something I've been thinking of kind of in that vein, how like you're you're bringing up this apparatus that somebody is able to use to hold charcoal without getting their fingers dirty. I bet you to anybody who's in that community, to them they're like, oh, yeah, it's called this. And then it's like basic knowledge once you actually know what you're talking about. And I'm over and here like. You're the- like, I had no idea it existed. I just got, I thought I was finger art. Like <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> I'm over here. I'm like the the heathen just being like ooh magic (laughs) (laughs) i love that though but that got like sometimes i think about how like crochet is a good example of something that i'm personally knowledgeable about is where like i know i have so much base knowledge because i've been doing it for so long but for people who have never even sort of touched it they're like, is it possible to do this? And to me, I'm like, that's one of the most basic things you've ever asked me for. Like, yes, it's possible to do that. But because you don't know, you feel you feel ill-prepared. Sure. And so I'm like, how many times have we picked up hobbies or like tried to get into something where we just didn't really know where to start for research? So then, of course, once we start diving into it and it's like not going well, not doing what we want, we start feeling like it's a personal flaw or like we're incapable when in reality it's just that we don't have the information yet in which case you can't punish yourself for something you don't know yet that was guitar for me for the longest time because you i would either find these books that were really super basic that for whatever reason could not link it to music Mm -hmm. for me in a way that i can go that's how that links to that Mm -hmm. or i tried some uh, guitar teachers in the past that just, again, I, I, I think I've said this before, they just really weren't good. And I don't want to say they weren't good because they really aren't good. It just could be that the way they teach was just not compatible with my learning style. Yeah. But my current guitar teacher totally has a style that just it, works. It works. But before that, like I would go on YouTube and YouTube's kind of horrible because they put their <laughs> fingers on it. Yeah, just form this chord. And you can't tell whether this finger is like up off of the strings or if it's on the strings or mm-hmm. what's going on. So you're like, oh, I don't know what the heck this is. I just personally don't like YouTube at all. YouTube has some positive stuff. I mean, yes. I, okay. I here's can acknowledge a, that YouTube a, has a lot of useful and helpful information, especially I've heard of like YouTube dad who is like, if you've never done this on your car this is how you do it if you've never fixed this around your house this is how you do it for people that don't have parents to teach them that Mm -hmm. which i will acknowledge that's dope and like diy videos but for every good one where it's actually helpful and gives correct and like actual knowledge there are millions out there of people who have no idea what the hell they're doing or what they're talking about just spreading misinformation and there's a bunch of like I don't want to say porn, but a lot of inappropriate content that shouldn't be there. Well, sure. That shows up intentionally. Like the creators are intentionally making these videos to go on like kids YouTube. No, I agree. I'm I'm not a fan of that. And also I don't like that I have like eight ads in a like three and a half minute video. Yeah, I don't like that either. So. But here's here's an example of something that was positive. Now, normally when I write, I just put my iPod on random, let it go. Very rarely am I writing to something specific. But in the case of my horror Western, I found that to help get into that mindset. Were you listening to Western music? I was. Yeah. Uh, and 
Morricone, Morrison, I something like that. He's the one that was the composer for like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that stuff like that. But yeah, I would just listen to his stuff while I'm writing, and it really, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, if you read it, it's oh man, I'm really super proud of it. I'm super proud of all I'm doing. So yeah, I am too. But, but that's a couple of years you weren't doing any of this stuff, and now here you are just writing stories left and right. Uh, for decades, writing I wasn't short, doing it. Short yeah. stories on Twitter. Yeah, the Twitter. <laughs> But, uh, one of the thing, well, one of the things that I set out for my own writing is I want to write succinct horror. I don't want to have a lot of fat on it. Mm-hmm. I don't want a bunch of meandering crap that does not do anything to add to it. So when I see things like, well, like the short story I did that was a maximum of 2,400 words, mm-hmm. you know, and you have that limit, this visual short story hashtag, I love the challenge of it because it does two things. First of all, one, I'm having to operate within that limit. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, I have to make choices that are much better, more succinct, and work. Intentional. Intentionally, mm-hmm. yes. And I find that the more I've done this stuff, the more it's informed other works that I'm starting to work on. Mm-hmm. I find myself now, where in the beginning, I was just making these like, okay, I'm just going to put some stuff here. <laughs> like, I got to go back and edit my first draft of the novel I wrote back in 2020. I'm kind of dreading it. Why? Okay. I love to edit. So editing this thing is going to be great. But I just know that the part that I'm dreading is because I see what I edit now. And like, I'm going to go back to that. And it's going to be like kindergarten, not kindergarten (laughs) writing, but I mean like just that where, guy was very much where you feel comparatively like your skill level has changed. Honestly, I feel like, yes, you could be looking at it as like, what if I read it and it's garbage? I feel like you're going to read it and be like, I see what I was trying to do there, but now I know how to word this better. Well, no, I don't think it's going to be garbage. I really believe in the core Good. story, but I use a program called autocrit for editing. Cause I'm trying to get it to the point that I would be happy to hand it off to a human editor (laughs) and not be embarrassed by it. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh man, you seriously need to not quit your day job. No way. I could be better. I promise. But (laughs) I wish, I wish I could find out who Gus's editor was. I'm sure it might be in the book itself, but he self published it too. Like he had an editor that went through it and like read through with him and like gave him actual feedback. And then he just self published everything. Yeah. I don't know. Cause that book, there's parts of it that just feel like some, things are missing. That's intentional. Right. That's an, a decision he made. Okay. <laughs> I know though. It's worth reading. Absolutely. I enjoyed it, but. No, it's, I understand. He's, he was a complicated man. <laughs> I'll just suffice it to say he was a complicated man. Right. I mean, the, the talent was there for sure. But that's the thing. It's like when you don't know the person, so you can't really go. Yeah. Why is this half a sentence here at the end and it's not finished? You know, or the story would go up to a certain point and then you're like, what happened after that? But you don't get the rest of the story. And it just, it really feels like, uh, it read to me like kind of how you remember stuff. That's exactly the point. So, uh, I don't want to air too much of like his trauma and stuff just because he's not here for me to ask, but essentially he had a really tumultuous life and there are bits and pieces that he didn't remember until like later down the line, you know, like how we all are with trauma. One day we just, whoa, I have this memory now. That's cool. And I'm sure that in the process of him writing that book, he probably, things came to the surface. Well, his, his actual writing process 
was he would take off however much time from work because he worked in the tech industry and was fairly high up and like good at what he was doing. Right. And he would just take time off, go to Germany, lock himself in a hotel room and just drink constantly and then just write. So anyway, he said, write drunk, edit sober. That's I'm pretty confident (laughs) that's what he was doing. Yeah. So that may be part of it is like, I might have to go to Germany, lock myself in a hotel room and just get drunk and see what kind of horror stuff I, I would be supportive of that in general. Just like in general, you should should do Scotland though. Germany was Scotland would be, yeah, I would be more uh, inclined to go to Scotland to do that. Yeah. So you should do that. But yeah, no, it's just because with autocrit, like it'll go through and and there's all these different reports that it'll run. Mm -hmm. So you can check for cliches. So you could just get rid of cliches out of your writing. You can, which I do that. That's dope. That is dope. A lot of people, when they write, they shortcut with the cliches, but some of those cliches are, they're cliches for a reason. Yeah. Um, and they might work kind of in a... Or like we make the zing, but it's one of those jokes that only we find funny. Yeah. Passive voice. Um, it'll go through and it'll show me. There was one report I ran on one of my works where one of the words that alerts you to passive voice is had. Mm-hmm. So this, I would run the passive voice report and it was screaming at me. Like you got to, and it'll you had every, you used had in every single sentence. No, it's, I think autocrit thought I did. No, um, it didn't highlight everything. Here's the thing. So it will tell you, you used 300 hads, get rid of 200. Oof. Okay. I'm not saying I can, those. I, I know. I'm just like, I'm imagining having that task. Just like actually having to do that. You know what? When you first start it, it is daunting AF. Cause then you're like, oh, what? Yeah. But you, you eventually get to where you start getting in it and it's mm-hmm. like less. But I got down to the point where it was still telling me I had to get rid of X amount of hads, but they were all in the dialogue. Mm. And dialogue is different from, you know, when you're describing Actual something writing, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Because you got to take into account, you know, how people Talk. So then at that point, you just got to make the executive decision. Yeah, at you that point. Deal with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at that point, I was like, I'm sorry, autocrit. You're just going to have to get over it. My characters aren't intelligent enough to avoid the word hat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the story takes place in a rural area, which isn't to say people in rural areas are idiots or dumb. Well, yeah, but, but education there is, is a... less emphasized on like verbiage like that. Right. And so if you're going to write to something, you have to be kind of true to that. You know, if you're going to present a realistic, otherwise, if you're setting it in rural Montana and you have them talking like road scholars, that's really (laughs) going to be really detached from the story. Yeah. There's going to be, nobody talks like that in rural Montana, maybe one or two people, but yeah. But the thing is, is as I've used this program, things that I've edited later have had less things I've had to fix because now when I'm writing, that's in my head. Don't put hat in there. Hell yeah. Unnecessarily. That's why thinking about going back and editing that first draft. Why don't you run <laughs> why don't you run your book through that program? No, I plan on it. The thing is, is I've got Can it handle a file that big? <laughs> I don't know. That's what she said. Right. I don't know if if it can or not, I'll find out. Honestly, I was gonna approach it like this. I was gonna uh, read it as a reader, hmm. like not, not as an editor, 
not as the author. And it's been a while since you've touched that project. It has so. been, yeah, over a year. So go through, and then I would just kind of make, I wouldn't make notes or anything on that. I would just read it through, get an overall feel for it. Then I would go through and then make the notes on it, whatever. But then my plan was to just do it a chapter at a time. That's what I was just going to say. Like not, it might be a good idea to run it like a chapter through that program and then write yeah. and take notes. Like page something, come back to this. I'm not sure about whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? I do think that that book is probably going to have to be rewritten. Yeah. Because I think I started it in the wrong place. and Wrong place like mentally or wrong place like for the story? For the story. But I don't want to commit to that and say, yeah, that's what it is. And I read it and find out. No, that's Maybe not, not rewrite the whole thing as much as just like tweak the beginning. There's a good chunk of it that is going to stay intact. I don't have to do the whole thing over. It's basically moving scenes around. I'm going to have to write new scenes to make those things work. Mm -hmm. I know there's a section that was not working and I, I basically was going to delete it. I, but there was a bunch of stuff that was already working and it wasn't. That I'd already written, but it wasn't working. But instead of getting caught up on like trying to fix that, I just put it in brackets, left a note, get rid of this. Mm -hmm. So I know there's going to be a big chunk there, but, but th that three weeks, that th almost four weeks of pain flare up really set me back. And then I've been pretty consistent in writing. I've decided that I'm going to write six days a week. I'm going to write or edit six days a week, depending on what's needed. And then Sunday, I'm going to give myself the day off. Yeah. Just, good. You know. I'm glad you're, you're scheduling self-care days. Honestly, Although, we have, I, I'm kind of at the point where I have to schedule downtime to not do anything too. Yeah. I was running into situations where I was not really getting sleep because my brain was just kind of chewing on it all the time. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just kind of adjust some stuff so that we can get some sleep mm -hmm. and not kill ourselves for this. And then, like, having a Sunday off, that'll work, you know. Um, but my goal is to write at least two hours a day or 2,500 words. That's my goal. Although during the week, I don't really have the two-hour. Mm -hmm. So it's just whatever I can get done in the... Oh, yeah, I think I have about two hours to do it. Yeah, about an hour and a half, two hours. I think I, yeah, because I, I rejig I re the schedule to give me that time. But, but regardless, that's my goal. And then showing up every day has helped until I get to like the sunset. <laughs> and then my brain's like, I don't know what to describe as the sunset. The sun is going down. It's setting over there. Yeah, but which can work. I mean, it it really depends on what you're trying to to do. With this particular sunset in this, there's a reason why the sunset is being described for what it is. Because it's ominous. Otherwise, it'd be like, the sun was setting. Yeah. You know, but yeah, trying to get it to that point, get the words out. And then I'm almost done with it. I'm in the middle of writing the fight scene, but the fight scene isn't working. And I think I figured it out what was going on. I'm drawing it out by trying to describe what everybody's doing mm, yeah. in the thing. And that's not really going to work, especially for horror. It needs to be more punchy, more, you know, erratic. And I've just, and there's like six paragraphs where I've mentioned what the, what the, the monster looks like very vaguely. Mm -hmm. And he's not really doing anything. So he doesn't feel like a threat. <laughs> 
He's just standing there. Like I'm over here with some uh, negative energy, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm like glaring at you a little bit. Yeah, right. The rester, resting monster face. Yeah. RMF. He's just, it's just looking at him with resting monster face. <laughs> the rest of them are like, and then he comes and does that. Yeah, um, but our schedules are about to be ridiculous now because the whole point of this episode was to catch up with why, like what we were doing over that break, but also because we're picking it back up again. Yes. So we are going to be doing more episodes, but we are still going to be taking that break around the end of the year because you also have a lot of birthdays crammed in that. Yeah. Between Christmas. Yeah. Like my birthday is at the end of January and then most of my kids' birthdays are between Christmas and my birthday. Yes. So. And it's the worst. Either we'll just do another hiatus episode or we'll pre-record some to just tide you over for the holidays. I mean, we have a whole year to choose that. We're literally sure. in, in February right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, draw this to a close. But real quick, we're recording this. Uh, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Do you have oh, any Oh, is it really? Yes. Do you have any Valentine's Day plans? I'm <laughs> no, guessing no. Obviously you not, because I had no idea tomorrow was Valentine's Day. Um, well, I mean, right now, I like I know I'm, I still call myself polyamorous because I prefer that lifestyle. But right now, I still just have one partner. And he hates Valentine's Day, but like all holidays. So we just don't really make a big deal out of it. I have to work, so usually that ruins Valentine's Day plans, too. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it's fine. I think you're still poly, even if you only have one person. Yeah. It doesn't stop being poly. You don't stop being poly just because you don't have 50 people. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not really seeing anybody, but uh, I consider myself. You know what? The dating scene is so interesting because recently I, like, met somebody at the club I DJ at and I like we were talking and it was going well and I wanted to leave. So I was like, Hey, if you want to like stay connected, you can have my number if you want it. And he's like, well, I should let you know I'm, I'm ethically non-monogamous, but I'm not looking for any new partners right now. And I understand because like most people in bars are like trying to hook up. And I looked at him and I was like, I can't even tell you how on the same page we are. Like, I'm not looking for any partners either, but you seem cool. So like, if you want to be friends, like, oh yeah, dope. Cool. And then now now we're friends, but bold move cotton. Let's see how that works. It's it's just interesting to me how like the, the way that people socialize now is that the only really, the only time that you really interact with people at clubs and bars and stuff is usually with the intention of like a one night stand. And that's not anything I can ever do. Kind of feel like that's just baked into the concept intentionally or not yeah and like that's just that's just not for me (laughs) yeah i'm not a one-night stand person either yeah but uh so for valentine's day i will be working and then just hanging out at home with my dweebs which is honestly okay i'm not too worried about it i will be at home and going to work and then i will be writing and then i will be joyously avoiding getting smacked around by errant mylar balloons boom (laughs) and no flowers to uh harass my allergies true i am kind of bummed about the lack of chocolate but it's okay it's not like you can't go buy chocolate though. exactly i was like i'm just gonna go home and get chocolate like on my way home i'm gonna and then tomorrow you'll be able to get all the chocolate you want that's on sale oh that's a good point maybe even tonight like last minute sales tonight maybe oh maybe 
We'll see. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck with that. Thanks. I mean, it's going to taste the same whether or not it's heart-shaped. <laughs> That's so. true. All right. Well, let's uh, call it an episode. We are back. And uh, I do want to leave the listeners with one thing I really have come to really learn in the pandemic is that try to have some kind of creative outlet. Yeah. Because having a creative outlet honestly has saved my mental health more than anything else. And uh, even if it's not something to make money, just having an outlet to be creative. Yeah. I would, I would argue uh, that it's important to pick something that doesn't make money specifically for the, the point of just doing it because the way the world works now, we're almost kind of brainwashed into anything that we spend time on needs to be marketable and needs to be something that you can sell. And then that turns joy and creativity into a job and an obligation. Yep. I'm like, recently I've been doing word searches. That's been my like fun thing to do for no reason. Cause like I love drawing and I love painting and I love all those things. But then my mind always turns to, well, I'm good at it. Maybe I can start selling stuff. Nobody's going to buy done re- like word searches. <laughs> you never know. You know? And so I just sit there and I listen to my music and I'm just doing my word search and my little, like my ADHD brain is happy with the little dopamine of completing the word puzzle. And I, I just spent 10 minutes by myself where I wasn't doing something for the sake of making money or being responsible for something. And I just existed for a little bit. Yeah. It's definitely nice. Mm-hmm. When I write, I just get lost in that and just I don't think it. anything of it. Yeah. Mm. So, all right. Well, that is it for our first episode back. I am Ian. Have a week. Bye. This has been another episode of Tricky Fish. If you enjoyed what you heard and want more of it, you can follow us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please leave us a review as that really helps us out. You can find us at trickyfishpodcast.com as well as on Twitter at trickyfishpod.